But we are excited about what the Lord's going to do next week uh, for our Easter Sunday, and we want to encourage you to invite, invite somebody along. Bring somebody along and let them hear about what the Lord has to offer. Now, before that service on Friday night, we have our Good Friday service here. And uh, on Good Friday, it's that opportunity for us to really drive home to us the sacrifice Christ made. The celebration of Sunday is the risen Lord and what that brings to our lives. But the reflection of Friday night is the sacrifice that God made for us. And so we encourage you at 7.30 to come on out Friday. It's going to be a great service. All right, I've got a question for you guys, for the guys out there, okay? For the guys, all right? Good, there's a couple of you out there. Now, okay, guys, size me up, all right? I, um, I'm about 5'9", right about 185, hush. Um, so size me up and take a look, and I want to ask you this question. If we got into a fight, like a fist fight, ask yourself the question, could you beat me up? Now, <laughs> you, you can't participate. <laughs> yeah. no, no, now think about this for a second. Now, now literally think, if, if you and I went at it one day, with fists flying. Now, I don't know karate. I don't know any of those type of, uh, of fighting techniques. I have seen all the Rocky movies, uh, but that's the extent of it. Would you, could you beat me up? Now, let, let me ask you this. I mean, there's no pride involved in this. You don't need to feel bad for saying you can beat up the pastor. Um, <laughs> with a show of hands, <laughs> how many of you could beat me up? Come on, let's see. <laughs> Trevor, you're carrying a cane, buddy. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, that's... No, keep those up. I want to see these hands. All right, that's... Yeah, okay, that's probably accurate. That's probably accurate. Sandy, what are you doing? Put your hand down. So, um, yeah, I do. That's why I asked you to put your hand down. Yeah, anybody out there? Uh, yeah, probably both of you could. Uh, anybody over here have their... Hands up back here. You, you can't participate, Sahara. Uh, no? Good. No, there's no pride involved. Come on, if you think you can, go ahead and raise your hand. Norbel, you're a strong, fit guy. You can't take me? Man, that's, that's, that's respect. That's respect. Well, there's a few hands that were lifted up there. Uh, I'm not offended by that, I want you to know. If you lifted your hand, I'm not offended. JP, it's okay. I'm not offended by that. Um, I was a little offended by Sahara raising her hand and Sandy <laughs> raising her hand. And, um, I'm not quite sure, but I think Tucker slipped a hand up over there. I'm not totally sure. I'm a little offended by that, uh, but not the others of you. You know, some of you, uh, you might even, even though we're having fun, you, you hesitate to raise your hand because you're not quite sure of the situation, what you're, what you're communicating uh, there. But in a real-life situation, I mean, if this was really escalated to the point where we are going at blows, what you would have to evaluate in yourself before you slipped your hand up was, do I have the power within me to take him? Do I have enough within me to take him? Otherwise, you wouldn't want to enter into that, into that fight. I'm convinced, because I go and watch my son's taekwondo, I'm convinced right now that... Uh, I could take just about anybody if they would be willing to throw a slow-motion punch. Um, I've been watching them, and I mean, I'm, 
I, I could do anything in slow motion. If it speeds up a little bit, I'm going to be in a little bit of trouble. So I'm not offended by you raising your hand. This morning, we're going to talk about the power, the power that Christ has to offer our life. We're going to talk about the power that comes from him. I am surprised how often, even as Christians, even as believers, we often, in our speech and in our actions, we devalue the power that God has to bring to our lives. We're kind of like that person sitting there that I'm not quite sure if I should put my hand up or not because I'm not quite sure the power God has to offer is really there. And if I can, if I can believe it's really there, I'm not sure it's available to me, to somebody else, but not to me. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning that has both this familiar element and then this confusing element. And we're going to work through this passage uh, this morning and as we come around, what we want to find out and discover in this passage is what really is the source of power and what is the avenue that God is wanting to bring it to us, all right? So we're going to work through this passage, and then we're going to take a look at that. Now we're going to focus, it's, on, it's in Mark chapter 11, if you want to open it up and find it and read on your own. I will put it on the screen for you. We'll spend most of our time in, in Mark chapter 11. Now, for your own time afterwards, you know, letting you know that it is found in Matthew and Luke as well if you want to look at these passages on your own. So let's take a look of Mark chapter 11, and let's read it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who have followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig, leaf, a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those, who, those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So an interesting passage here, kind of a blended segment of seemingly different stories. Have you ever heard of how uh, Dr. Pepper came about? Anybody ever read that history of Dr. Pepper? That's good. I'm glad because I have it in my notes right here to share with you. So it's perfect that you don't know it. You see, Charles um, Alderton ran a drugstore in Waco, Texas, and he was becoming pretty famous for having different types of syrup to add to his sodas. In fact, the number got so great that it started to take a long time for people to come in and order because they had to decide what they wanted. And when they wanted three or four flavors mixed together, it took a long time, and, the, and, and just the efficiency of the service was, was very tough. And so what Charles did was he decided to put all of his flavors together into one drink, and they called it a Waco. And they actually started becoming pretty famous, this Waco drink. And guess how many flavors it had? 23, 23 flavors, hence the 23 on the Dr. Pepper can. And the drink stuck, changed its name, and it started to be bottled and marketed out actually earlier than Coca-Cola was out there. The history of Dr. Pepper. You see, Charles just, at some point, he just said, you know what, this isn't efficient, just throw it all together and stick it out there, we'll see if they like it. And they did. Sometimes we think the Bible puts passages together like this. That they just take a bunch of good stories about Jesus and just kind of shove it together and uh, we have ourselves a story. So we read in this very choppy way of how passages are put together. And as you read Mark 11 here, you go from this great triumphal entry, this passage that we know and we read about at Palm Sunday often, and then we go into this cursing of a fig tree and to clearing of a temple and then noticing the fig tree and then a thing about faith and prayer. And it seems very odd that these would be sandwiched together in this passage. Well, this morning, we're going to just walk through each story. And we're going to ask the question, how do they fit in? What is Jesus, what is the author really trying to tell us overall with these passages together? And I think, if you'll hang with us, as we come to the end here, you'll see the value and impact it has on our life. So, story number one. Let's take a look at it. Story number one in Mark 11. Let me reiterate. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now let's let's just set the, uh, the scene here. This is the festival time in Jerusalem. This is that time once a year when everyone, all Jewish believers, would come to Jerusalem and they would come to worship. They would come to celebrate. And so it was this, this all-week-long celebration that was going on. And when they came, part of the coming was to come and they would bring their sacrifices to the Lord and their special offerings, as we spoke about several weeks ago. And so you would have this atmosphere at this time of year and in this week 
where Jerusalem would have kind of been overrun with an abundance of population and people there. And since uh, it wasn't quite the day and age where you know, there was a hotel room for every person when they traveled, to have people sleeping in tents and, and sleeping in the fields would have been common scene at this time. So you can see a town which was decent size already now swelled, and this was the setting in fact, there was always much celebration during this time as people came and they, they gave their offerings and they had this encounter and interaction with the Lord. In fact, we find in, in some of the, the, the non-biblical writings about this time that it seemed like this was the most joyful and hopeful time and hopeful week in the life of one of the Jewish believers because they were in God's presence this week bringing their sacrifices Similar, I guess, we endure that sometimes when, when we're far away from God or we're far away from the setting that God often works in, whether it's in a church service or a, one of those impactful church camps, and we're far away from being in God's Word and, and spending time discussing and talking about Christian things that we feel farther away. But when we get in God's Word, when we get in His house, when we let ourselves be around impactful situations, it makes sense that that's an impactful time. And that's what's going on at this time. And so Jesus is coming now with his disciples into this town. And in the disciples' thinking, they were probably, as Jewish believers, coming in just to do the same as every other Jewish believer. Jesus had a little bit different plan. Jesus asked them to go get this, this colt, and, and he brought the colt in, and they threw a cloth on the back of it, and there Jesus rode into town. And we get now this incredible celebration that happens. There's a little bit of disagreement in, in the biblical scholars whether this was kind of a planned and understanding thing that Jesus was coming or whether this was a spontaneous celebration that broke out. That when people saw him, his reputation had already spread over the last three years of his life and that this spontaneous celebration erupted. We probably don't have time to decide that this morning in a service, but what we do know here is that people came out to honor Christ. They came out to lift up Jesus. They came out to cheer him and to celebrate him as he rode in. Now, let's think about it for just a moment um, in this celebration. Jesus rode in on a donkey. I mean, he rode in on a fairly feeble animal compared to what choices might have been available for royalty. In fact, Josephus, as he writes uh, about Jewish culture back in the day of Christ, he talks about some of these parades for officials in the Roman Empire, parades that would have these horses and, and even elephants, he talks about. He talks about these celebrations, these parades, or these processions with bands and music that would go on for long, long periods of time because that many people were part of the procession. So if that was the case, these people probably had a little bit of understanding what this kingly procession looked like. But nonetheless, they were willing to come out to Christ, who riding on a donkey, and give him the same type of cheering, the same type of parade as he came through. It says they, they laid down their cloaks and, and they, put, they cut off branches of trees and they laid it down. You see, in a royal procession at that time, it would have been similar to today the roll out the red carpet at, for the celebrities, 
it would have been a similar thing. There would have been some type of e- either cloth or flower petals or something like that that would have aligned and they would have walked through. For Jesus, they, they cut off branches and they laid these branches down. They took off their own cloaks and, and the Jewish people would have had this outer garment and they would have had an inner garment. So it wasn't necessarily like they were standing there naked. Uh, they took out the outer garment and they would lay it down. And the outer garment for the Jewish person was to basically keep them clean. I mean, it was to collect all the grit and dirt, and that was also to keep them, them warm at night. And they were willing to take that off, to, to lay it down kind of as a, a symbol for Jesus, uh, not to get him dirty as this procession coming into town, just as they would do for a king or a celebrity. But if you look back at this, Jesus is coming in, and they start to chant these things about the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. They start to chant these things uh, that, that show their expectation of who Christ is and what he came to do. You see, every Jewish person would have grown up knowing the Old Testament, and they would know that in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, that there was always prophesied the coming of a king. And the word king is used predominantly to describe this. And so why would a Jewish person not think that Jesus is a coming king? And their view of king, their understanding of king, is what Josephus described there. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. He comes in with just regular branches cut. He comes in with them taking their own cloaks off and laying it on the ground. I wonder sometimes as I look at this, were there people that would have saw this and, and wanted to celebrate, and they were just like, this is not what I thought. I was thinking about this king, this overthrowing. In fact, jo- do you know that Josephus writes that there was actually a sect or two, uh, not directly under Jesus' leadership at all, but these sect or two, they were actually training kind of a covert military-style training because they were expecting some type of overthrow of the Roman Empire through this, this new Jewish regime led by Christ. They actually viewed that. And so it was very, might have been very odd for a few of them to see Jesus coming in on a, on a donkey with, with palm branches or whatever the branches were and cloaks on the ground and, and more of the the peasants or the poorer people out there celebrating him coming in. And you could see somebody maybe sitting back, scratching their head, thinking, how are we ever going to overthrow this Roman Empire with this? This is a makeshift parade here. We got a donkey. We don't have horses. We don't have elephants. There's no band. We've got palm branches. We just cut them off that tree right there. There's no flower petals. We laid our own cloaks down. Nobody went and made something fancy and nice. And you could see how somebody would sit back and wonder here. They would sit back and wonder, how is this going to happen? Have you ever done that in your own life? Where you sit back and you see what you have to offer right now or what you have on the table or what you have in the bank account or what's going on in your relationships right now and you ask the question, how am I ever going to get forward in life? with what I got. It would have been very easy for somebody to look at this, this parade as that. But what we do know is many of them came out and they celebrated and they cheered 
and they expected something. What did they expect? Well, we don't totally know. We do know that they were thinking of the word king, and Jesus was coming in. Let's take a look. Let's hold right there and take a look at this second story. The second story starts right after this. We've had this great celebration of Jesus coming in and people being very excited, and then we get this story. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig, leaf, a fig tree and leaf, he went, out, <coughs> he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season of figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say this. All right, so set the scene again. It's great celebration of him coming in, this excitement of the people who came out to praise him. And the very next day, Jesus is now walking with his disciples. He sees a fig tree. He's hungry. Um, it would have been, you know, common. You're hungry. You pick something off the tree. You eat it. And there was no fruit. And so what does Jesus do? He curses this tree. He says, no one may ever eat fruit of you again. I mean, the disciples, as they're sitting there, they're thinking, we just had this great celebration. We just had this excitement. And now what did Jesus wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Um, he's pulling a little buzzkill to the situation as he's angry, fussing at a little tree. It would be re- very, very easy here maybe to go on and just figure out how this fits in if the, the writer could have just left one phrase out. The phrase is this, because it was not the season for figs. If the writer could have just left that out of the passage there, we would have said, oh, he went hungry, the, food didn't provide, uh, the, the tree didn't provide any fruit, so he was angry with the tree, and basically he's teaching his disciples that we are to bear fruit. But there's this line in there that's very confusing, frustrating, when he says, but it wasn't even the season for fruit. How could Jesus expect that the tree would have fruit if it wasn't the season for fruit? Now, fruit on those fig trees probably would have come somewhere in, in, in early to mid or even late April, depending on the, the climate. And so we know this must have been just before that time. It, there was leaves on there, but no, no fruit. How could Jesus get upset about this when the tree that his, his Father in Heaven created, the cycle that's in place that his Father in Heaven created, and there's no fruit, how can Jesus get so upset about this to the point where he would say never again never again would there be fruit on a tree have you ever got upset about something and later you realized ooh probably didn't have a right to be upset about that (laughs) probably didn't have well for me it happened about uh, 1 a.m. last night Um, I'm confessing this now with my family sitting here because they can't do anything about it as I'm confessing from up front so um (laughs) But uh, we have an upstairs-downstairs, and uh, sometimes when something is brought upstairs, a food item or cups or things like that, uh, it gets brought to the top of the stairs and set at the top of the stair, but never find its way down the stairs into the kitchen. Um, Sometimes that's even like a refrigerated item (laughs) that sits for a period of time. So about 1 a.m. last night, I I had woke up, and I was kind of wide awake, and um, and so I decided to walk down the hall and uh, check on the, the Atlanta Braves baseball score, which uh, I like to do daily. 
And so as I, I'm walking, I turn the corner. I didn't turn on the light. I turn the corner, and I, I kick a jar of Hidden Valley Ranch uh, dressing. Now, it was, it was closed. It didn't come open, but I kicked it because I didn't see it there, and it kind of flew against the wall. And uh, my initial reaction was very verbal. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I was not happy about it. I said, why can't we just take something down the stairs? It's right down the stairs. Um, that type of frustration. And uh, I did actually, I'm going to confess this, uh, Shri, I, I did actually flung the, uh, the ranch thing down the stairs, <laughs> um, thinking I will help it one further step or two uh, towards the kitchen. Um, it only took a second to realize that uh, I had been an idiot, and so I went down and I picked it up, and I did put it back at the top of the stairs because I wanted the next morning to kind of teach my boys a lesson, and um, I just got a little upset. <laughs> and I realized I was wrong. Not wrong for being upset about something ended, but wrong for my actions, wrong for what I did. And as I read a passage like this, I stop sometimes and I ask the question, was Jesus just... Was he just wrong here? Was he in a bad mood? Did he let his anger get the best of him here? I mean, was he that hungry that he couldn't just hang on a little bit or look for, for something else? What's, what's going on here? Story number three. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, this is that one time where, you know, you, you kind of you look at Jesus in a different way, where Jesus is kicking some tail in this, this temple courts. In fact, sometimes when we think about the images when Jesus is drawn, if you look at art and those type of things, I mean, rarely is Jesus ever depicted as this strong, you know, kind of brute kind of guy that can take care of himself. Uh, he's always looked very passive. You know, there's a lamb in the picture, and he's, you know, stroking it or something like that. Children are sitting on his lap, and that is Jesus. But in this passage, we get a different view. In fact, this is that passage that lets you know, is it wrong to get angry? Obviously not, because Jesus was angry. Is it wrong to kick over a table here or there? Well, must have not been wrong in this passage because Jesus goes at it here. Let's talk about what was going on. We said that this was the time where people were coming and they were offering their sacrifices. And the Bible actually says, uh, you know, way back in Deuteronomy, that if you can't actually carry your sacrifice to the place of sacrifice, then, then change it for money and bring that. And so uh, for many of them, what they would do is either not carry it and they bring money and buy something there for the sacrifice. Or for some people, they even had this setup where if they were poor, they still felt like they had to sacrifice something. And the Pharisees had even put this system in place where there was these certain levels of what you had to sacrifice. And for some people that had no income whatsoever, they still were, felt like they were bound to purchase that. And so they would come into the temple and they would try to work some deal, some deal with these money changers. In fact, uh, 
often when we look at this passage, we think ill on the people that were selling. But we also get a picture of, of lazy worshipers, people who didn't take the time to bring their own stuff or didn't take the time to, to bring the money or, or last minute, thought, we'll pick something up on the way. Pick something up on the way. And there in the temple courts was their opportunity to pick something up on the way, to head right in, and you can, you can go at it from that point. And so this whole market system had kind of developed there in the temple courts. Guess who oversaw the temple courts? The religious leaders, the Pharisees. Those who it was their job to kind of interpret the law and interpret whether somebody had violated the law or not violated the law, that was their job, and they oversaw. None of this marketplace could have happened without them overseeing and them being in leadership. So on three levels, you have these religious leaders overseeing, allowing this. You have these money changers, and we get some, some view of corruptness that's going on there. And then you have even the, the possibility of lazy worshipers coming in saying, well, just pick something along, up along the way. Jesus walks in and sees this scene, and you can understand why he is so frustrated and upset and angry at this scene. That he just says, forget all this. And he starts kicking things and turning things over and says, this is not the design. My house was not designed to be this. Now, sometimes we, we debate here, does that mean we should never sell things in church? That's not what the passage is saying. It's much deeper than that. This passage has to be about worship and coming before God, not simply if we sell something or not. I'm reminded when I read a passage like this of, of Jeremiah 31. Listen to what Jeremiah writes. He says, a time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the forefathers when I took their, their hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was their husband to them, declares the Lord. I will make a covenant with the house of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, what, Jesus, what, what the writer of, of Jeremiah is saying here is, God is writing, he says, look, I have had it up to here with your sacrifices, your empty sacrifices, you know, your once-a-year kind of deal, your once-a-year penance thing that you think, I've had it up to here. I have a new covenant for you, one that I will write on your heart, and that you will be my people, I will be your God, and we will fellowship straight with one another. And so when you look at this system in light of Jeremiah, you think right back to this manipulation of this, of this sacrificial system. Really what they've taken is this worship experience and they've reduced it to some little religious activity. And so Jesus says, I can't handle that. That's story number three. Now we look back and we have to ask the question, how do these stories fit together? How does a story about this triumphal entry of people coming in, of Jesus coming in and people celebrating him, fit in with a story of a, a fig tree being cursed that wasn't even in season? And then how does it fit in with this turning over the, of the tables and wanting to just cleanse this, the, whole, uh, the whole temple? How does it all fit together? Story number one. Jesus is saying here, look, I'm on a donkey I'm riding on, on branches. 
with your cloaks laying on the ground. You're living in that tent over there or just sleeping on the side of the road. You're not in the palace. I'm not on the horse. There's no band behind us. He is saying this. We'll never, we'll never overthrow this Roman Empire. We'll never overthrow this system. Our kingdom will never be established just simply with this makeshift processional. Hold that thought. Second story. Jesus curses this fig tree. Curses it. Not even time of the year. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is you'll never be filled up. Never be filled up. Never be taken care of. Never be nourished if we simply look to the time of season of a fig tree. Third thing, hold that thought. Jesus says in the temple, you'll never find worship. You'll never find union with God if you base it just on a religious setup. Do the right thing, boom, 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 and you got it down. Never. You take those three never type of things. We'll never overthrow the Roman Empire. How could we possibly overthrow the Roman Empire? I'm on a donkey. How could you, you possibly expect to be nourished by this fig tree that it's not even the right time of year? And then finally, how could you possibly expect and receive this fellowship through these little, this little religious rite that you're doing? The answer, though, is found in this, this final verse. Take a look at it. It's in Mark 11:22. He says this, Have faith in God. Have faith in God, Jesus answers. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. Jesus is saying in these three areas that in any of your own thinking, in any of your own ways, in any of your own logic, in anything that seems right to you or seems like it can happen or can't happen based on your own understanding, your own devices, your own resources, Jesus says here, look, you're right, but God can do it despite. God can do it despite. Despite a guy riding in on a donkey with a few people celebrating with palm branches and, and, and with cloaks on the ground, far from the, the, the royalty of the Roman Empire, God can establish his kingdom. He says in, in this, this withering, this fruit here, he says even if it doesn't seem like it's the right time of the year, you know what? God can bring fruit to your life. God can use you to bring fruit to other people's lives. And he says here that even if you follow the sacrificial system to the T, you will not find it outside of a relationship and a fellowship with God that starts in just simple worship. I'm reminded of the passage uh, in Mark 10 when the rich, the rich young man has come to Jesus and Jesus finishes his interaction with him. And he says this, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they began to ask each other, Who then can be saved? Do you remember what Jesus responded to the disciples? He looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. God says he can take a humble man on a donkey and he can establish his kingdom 
Do you know that from that time on, Christianity is the most dominant group in the world? There's no empire that's, that's had the numbers of the Christian, the Christian kingdom from that point on. The Christian kingdom far outnumbers, far outnumbers any distant, distant second is anything else. He established his kingdom with a simple, a simple person of Jesus, God incarnate, riding in on a donkey. You know that, that in all... <coughs> And all God does, that the fruit that he offers to each one of us is simply the fruit that comes sometimes in circumstances that make no sense to us. I was talking just this week to somebody who said they were at the lowest point in their life, lowest point in their life when God intervened. They had nothing. Their family had left. They were, had just finished a detox program, and they knew it didn't really stick. They were, they had, actually, they had just gone out the night before. And it was at the lowest point, as they said, in a jail cell. And that's not a time where there seems like there's any fruit on the tree, but God intervened because it's not impossible with him. And it's not impossible. It's not impossible to come into his house, even empty-handed, and to receive of him and to have fellowship with him. You don't have to stop at the door and feel like you do all the religious things right. You can come just empty in who you are and to receive of him. He says here in this last passage, have faith. Have faith in God. Now, I don't know where you're at this week. There may be circumstances in your life where you think, how would God intervene in any way, shape, or form in my life this week with where I'm at? Have faith, the passage says. Or maybe you're this week and just saying, I'm completely drained. I need nourishment. I need help. I'm just at my weakest point. God says, have faith. And maybe you're at the point where you are just so fed up and sick and tired of the churchy world. You just feel like you've done it over and over and over and tried to do all the right things. And you just feel like you're as empty as you were before. His word says, have faith. Have faith, have trust, have surrender before the Lord. Those things are impossible with man, but they're possible with God. Over the next two messages on Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday, we're then going to turn our attention and really talk about what is that thing he wants to fill up? What is he filling it with? We talk often about filling. What is that thing he's putting in our life to fill that place? So I encourage you, Good Friday, come, be here, and next week, I really feel, as we've prepared strongly, the Lord could do, do a great work through next week's service and teaching time. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you speak to us and that uh, your word, though it often can be complex, boils down to this simple, this simple message that you are teaching throughout your word that we would put aside our faith in ourselves, that we would put aside our understanding and how things should work out in our own logic, and that we'd simply have trust and faith in you. Trust and faith that you will provide, as your word says. Just trust and faith, Lord, that you will work things for good for those who love you. And so, Lord, I want to pray this morning for, for one that, that has just come in and they... They know that's them. They've, they've been working on their own day after day, year after year. And Father, 
faith has not entered the picture. Surrender has not entered the picture. And this morning, I just pray that you would, you would allow them to come to that place where it's them sitting before you saying, Lord, I, I believe in you. I believe you'll do what you, what you said you'll do. And would they be ready to receive and not to go work on their own? We give it to you in your son's name. Amen.